Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that it is Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Carden, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meath. Plus, you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA Scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. The doors would close on the L, and we would just sit there like idiots. 15 minutes. Oh, as, forever. As the clock is ticking, and I feel my career just like sliding literally sliding away. Sliding away. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to Literally. Uh, today is a great one. You you may or may not know the name Ed Zwick, but you know the movies the man made, starting with About Last Night, a little movie that he made with me, that kind of really made me in many ways. The movie Glory, the movie Legends of the Fall, the movie Last Samurai, the movie Blood Diamond, um, a little television series called 30-something. Um, one of the notoriously one of the smartest, most erudite. Get your vocabularies out for this one. I pride myself on my vocabulary. I think vocabulary is great. And Ed Zwick puts me to shame. And he's gonna, I'm sure he'll unveil some great ones for us. Be listening for those. He has a new book coming out February 13th called Hits, Flops, and Other Illusions. Um, if you're interested at all in movies directing Hollywood, navigating Hollywood. It is sweet. So it's time for a little About Last Night reunion with my buddy, director Ed Zwick. The fact that it took you writing, by the way, great book, which we'll get into, that it took that and then me hosting a podcast to get us reunited is a goddamn crime. I was so tempted to drive to Santa Barbara just for the sake of sitting in the room and seeing you. And, you know, life is somehow interceded. You can't do it because we're all so fabulous and important. But but, uh, I really, I, I have to tell you two things. First of all, you know, over this time, however long it's been, You've not written one, but two books, both of which I've read, and oh, I figured, wow. and I figured this would actually be the perfect conversation because you've gone through that process of reinventing yourself and your own image, and and all the all the various vagaries of what that really means when you're writing that book. But also, Troy, um, my assistant, um, had done some. We've been going through these archives because we're putting all this stuff on. I'm not a writer any longer or a director. I'm a content creator. And a yes, marketer, of you are. Of promoting you are. promoting myself. But anyway, yeah. he came across this this little clip, which I'll send you, of you doing an interview during about last night, talking about special bulletin, and it's and it's so charming. You are so earnest and so enthusiastic about it. It was it touched me, and and I'll tell you why that it pertains to my life at this moment too. But I just thought you should know that. You know what? It's so funny. I was thinking about you and your. There's so, I mean, unfortunately, this or fortunately, this conversation could go on for five hours. And, but I was thinking about fucking special bulletin, which a lot of people don't know. It was TV, it doesn't really live on. It was so ahead of its time. It was, 
so good. Like, is there a new version, a new iteration to be made? Well, that's, well, that's in fact, we're working on something which I can't really talk about now, but there are certain ways in which the culture has caught up and yet we could stay ahead of it uh, in a different way. And, yeah. uh, and, and maybe, you know, offline, at least when we're yeah. done, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it because you were into it in the day and uh, it will, it, it will, uh, I think you'll dig it. So the answer, oh. to, the answer to that is yes. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, where, where does one begin mm. in the story, the storied first? Okay. Let's talk about the book. I'm just going to go greatest hits through the book <laughs> in okay. no particular chronological. Okay. So uh, how did you figure the sweet spot of being truthful, authentic. And then when it came to stuff that maybe someone behaved mm-hmm. badly or mm-hmm. whatever, because you did a great job, man. And I'll tell you, that was for, for me, that's, that's the thing you got to yeah. be able to write. If someone was a dick, you, they were a dick. Right. And it's your life. And you're writing about it, and you have to be authentic or not write about it. Well, this is you. You went right to it because that was that was the question that that you that I kept asking myself, which is that I was determined to be authentic. And it's almost when when you um, are in relationship with someone artistically, and you praise them, but your praise only has um, legitimacy if you're willing to criticize as well, because it gives it you know, it's bonafides. It keeps its creds. And I wanted the book, I wanted the book to have creds. And, and because this was important to me, this was, this was about things that had meant so much to me in my life. So I think what I was trying to do is in those circumstances in which people have behaved badly, I also went to some length to try to understand, to empathize where they may have been in their lives at that moment. And to, and to, and to suggest that, that, that had, perhaps changed over time and it, and, and that I was not um, immune from my own complicity in some of these interactions. And I tried to be as honest as I could be while still serving what I know an audience wants, which is the sort of the inside baseball That's right. stuff. And, That's and right. it's not about dish, although it becomes that it's about entertainment too. Uh, this is a book that that I want people to enjoy, and I want them to take a ride because I was on a ride. I've been on a ride my whole life in this regard, and so so that it was it was and some of it only in very 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 rare instances was there any sort of sense of payback. Right. Well, in fact, there were a couple times where you 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 w- you did not name a person who right. clearly wanted to pay back. And right. I struggle. I was like, who, who is it? Who is it? I got to figure it out. I'm going to figure out. I, I know that executive team. I was at TriStar myself. I had an office there. Do you remember there used to be, there was this site that used to have blinds, blind items. And yes, had, who yes. is the director who is doing yes. this with this actress? Right. And, and everyone That's would right. play that guessing game. I remember yeah. that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, the other thing I thought was great when people who I know write books that I love, like when, when Springsteen wrote his book, and he talked so much about, not so much, but when he talked about his depression. Mm-hmm. And I thought I, like, it's not like we're close, 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 close buddies, but yeah. I have known yeah. him for years. And, yeah. you know, as you know, we put a Born in the USA poster up in my apartment in about last night. Yep, I remember. But that element that he wrote about made me look at him and his work in a, in a completely fresh way. And mm-hmm. when you write about the sort of, the, the stuff about your father, mm-hmm. I thought was really quite beautiful, really well, well written, well, and really, really beautiful, beautiful. Well, it's funny. You know, I have a couple of really, you know, close readers, first readers. I mean, Marshall, certainly among them. And then yes. um, Adam Gopnik, who's an old friend of mine and a brilliant writer and editor. And they both read it. And, and both of them in their various ways said to me one thing. They said, you know, this is really good. And, and, this is going to work, but we're going to say something to you that you have probably said a hundred times to actors, which is to, or other writers, which is to say, I really like this, but I don't feel you in it to the degree that I want to. Mm. And I, you know, was taken aback for a moment. And of course, like all great criticism, it just 
galvanizes you. And, and I began to go deeper. And of course, what I've learned in my own writing, but see, Rob, I mean, you'll dig this too. I'm accustomed to writing, revealing, scabrous, sensitive, provocative things, but putting them in the mouths of other people, right. putting them in, you know, I have that, that little firewall between me. And so they're these beautiful people lit well, and, and somehow it gives me a, a, a remove and a, a protection. And to then to begin writing in the first person made me feel very vulnerable. And it led to some very confrontive moments personally that I'd managed to avoid, I think, by that remove. But I think you as an actor have maybe dealt with that a little bit more because you're out there and your fate, you're really out there. And I've chosen a life which gives me a slight remove. Yeah. I'm behind the camera. I can I can have that little bit of detachment. And in this case, it's just all naked, you know? It, I thought it was super, because again, with books like this, um, if you enjoy movies, if you enjoy inter- entertainment, movie, history, culture, um, this is, is great. I mean, this is up there for me with the Lamette book. Um, and... Uh, and particularly if you want to direct, mm-hmm. if you're curious about what directing is or producing, mm-hmm. it's great. But what it has, it may, which elevates it, is like with the base notes mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of the stuff about you. And 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 there's a caption about shame, which is yeah. fucking unbelievable. Where it's like it waits derisively in the corner and puts its hand on you when you're behind the monitor. Goes, oh really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and. I, it's so true. It's so true. Well, I mean, uh, ironically, those things that you are most afraid of are the things finally that other people relate to. They're the things that they find are the most universal. And I know that in my, in my partnership with Marshall, that at times the, the, the value of a partnership is when you say, all right, I have this thing. I, I know it's stupid and I, I'm afraid to say it because it seems uh, it's unflattering or it's un, uh, you know, ungainly or unappealing or whatever. And you sort of, it's like this little dingleberry that you don't want to shit out into the, into, into your work and you finally do. And then the other person says that, that's it, write that. And it gives you a license and a permission to do it. And that's probably the value of a, of a partnership too, of a collaboration. If you're thinking about doing some home remodeling, check out Window World. Go to windowworld.com and check out their Windows Inspiration Guide. The guide is a dream book of page after page of beautiful windows. It's not just about how good they look. These beauties earned the good housekeeping seal and Energy Star certification. Go to windowworld.com to schedule your free consultation. Tell them you heard about it here on Literally with me, Rob Lowe. Window World, America's exterior remodeler. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash rob. That's harrys.com slash rob for a $3 trial set. 
The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. I also think in books like this, it's what people don't say. It, it speaks as loudly as what they do say. There's not a lot of 30-something in it. Is that merely because you, do you have conflicted, interesting thoughts about it? Or is it just that you got so busy with the movie career at the very time that it kind of exploded in the culture? Only because 30-something is a seminal, seminal. I always sat back with a little bit of jealousy going, took our fucking movie and made it a TV show. Where's, <laughs> where's, my, where's, my, where's my place in this? Thanks it's, very it's, much. That's sort of true, Rob, because, because <laughs> in fact, uh, Larry Kasdan had done The Big Show and John Sayles had done The Trial of the Sakaka Seven and we did About Last Night, which was just about the stuff of a relationship. And then it was, but nobody had done it on TV at all. Right. And we went, okay, and now the irony, of course, you know, at, the, at that point, everybody was a fireman or a cop or a doctor yeah, yeah. on television, right? But nobody was a person. And, 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 and yes. now it's like the telescope has been turned around and all the television is, seems to me, is various excuses to create these places in which people are in these intimate relationships with each other. That that's is, true. that's the norm. Um, yes, it wasn't. You're absolutely 100% correct. Yeah, the funny thing is that to really write about 30-something would have had to be write another book. You know, it was the, 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 the intensities over four years at that moment in our lives, which were so seminal and so formative, and yeah. we were the same age, and, and we all came out of it in different ways. And yet, I think there was some Camelot about it yes something sure. golden where we were allowed to do whatever we wanted way we wanted to with no scrutiny and we were so absorbed with raising our own children and with each other that we had no real sense of what it was happening out there in the world we knew that it was affecting the culture but we were so self-absorbed and so and working so hard that i'm not sure that 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 even i could talk about it without really uh you know devoting more. So I, I, I gave it its due and I tried to be fond and, and truthful, but how could, you know, it, it was four years of my life. I know. I want more. Well, second book, listen, I found a second book. I yeah. found a second book in me because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you know, you'll go, th- I mean, at least for me, what I, I was so conscious of in the first book of like, I think in a good way of the exp- I'm asking somebody to purchase a book, sit down, devote time with all the other entertainment things, and read it. Mm-hmm. So you better fucking deliver. Yep. Yep. I mean, because there are plenty of people who just, I think, maybe take the money and don't give a fuck, but I, that's never been been me. So, But in thinking of delivering, there are certain fundamental truths we know as storytellers. And, you know, it's kind of like making an album. Have I written any hits in this album? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the, what's the first single? Yeah. Are there too many ballads? 
Yeah. You know, that's really the way I, I thought about it. And, and, and then when the book did really well, then I thought, okay, I'm going to now do uh, a, a book without thinking about any of that and see how that does. Well, that's funny because, because I know, I mean, I'd always wanted to write in this voice. I'd done it in college. I'd written journalism. I'd done other things. I'd done some stuff for the New York times over time, but, but I never wrote a book because I didn't think that I had a subject mm-hmm. until I realized that in fact, I'd had a subject for all these years and all I needed to do was actually look at it. And the, the question that one asks, you know, in terms of now is, well, is there another subject that I know as well as that? Um, or, or do I dig deeper or is there another way to approach it? But I, I, I'm not ready quite to have that conversation, but I will admit that there have been those stirrings because also when I wrote screenplays or TV shows, there was a form. It was dictated. It was like a the scansion of a poem, a villanelle or a sonnet has A, B, A, B, the rhyme scheme, and it's all there for you. The thing about a book, which I did, did not know, um, is a little bit like sort of body surfing and getting caught in the washing machine where you don't know what is up and what is down and how long should this be and how short should this be and, yeah. and should I go deeper internally or can that be, you know. And what you're saying is that Finally, I decided that the key was to try to make each thing intrinsically a readable chapter. That it, that it, yes, it related ultimately to some larger thing, but that, that everything had to have its, its own gravity. And, and that was how I decided to write the book. I also like the little, um, like, <laughs> punctuate it with, with, with the lists. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, don't know. I, I mean, there is one other truth that, that, Look, I, you know, uh, I've taught a lot and I really feel that there, there are two audiences for the book. One are people who might know the work and might have engaged in it in some way or the other. But there's a whole world of younger filmmakers and younger writers. And it's a book that I would have liked to have read when I was that age. Somebody telling the truth, talking about process, yep. um, but also trying to represent something that's in disrepair. The idea of a certain humanist approach, the idea of dimensional characters or political, you know, agenda or cultural observations, things, things that are, you know, have fallen away from, from movies to, to greater degree. And I feel I want to sort of, you know, put in a pitch for that to some degree. Well, listen, the movie that you and I made about last night would be a six part Netflix. Yeah. You know, it would not be a movie. Can you imagine? I, when I was reading that, I'd forgotten about last night was a big, well, big, I don't know it was big, but if it oh, came no. out when it came out, it was big. Oh, a no. Summer, yeah. A summer studio. Granted, it was TriStar. Hmm, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but they were a studio. But uh, a summer studio movie. And it was four people in an apartment and bars talking, brilliantly written and and yeah. you know, she directed, and I think the acting was was great. It's a great movie. I'm I one of my favorite things I've ever done. It remains to this day one of my favorite things ever. But today, that's not a studio summer movie. Right. It's not even a movie. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, one asks oneself, what is a movie? Now, I mean, you know, a movie. We know that it's an e-ticket, uh, you know, thrill ride. We know that it's a piece of IP. We know that it's something that is uh, somehow um, already pre-sold, but you know, you know, what's happened to me is when I look at those things, some of them have, that have been made by streamers. They feel, I feel like I can hear the meeting. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I can hear the screenplay. I hear, I hear the meeting, and <laughs> and and that you know, the, the design to design with the cliffhanger, you know, that it's designed to make you anxious and want to see the next rather than have one unique experience that has some unity and some catharsis and some shape to it, it doesn't seem to have come out of some individual's crazy mania about what to write a story about, but rather, and this I think is the legacy of Silicon Valley, is the team. When you mm-hmm. pitch something now, it's not to one person. It's to a group. And they are already looking for consensus in that group. And consensus 
can be the death of art. Can be, you know, if something, the, the eccentricity of one person talking to one person is different than than trying to please and establish this sort of unanimity, because that well, leads to sort of the middle ground. Well, particularly if you have a certain sensibility, and for me, I, I, I can identify it and articulate it best when I'm talking about comedy. I always, if I go to theater, the joke that makes me laugh the hardest and loudest, if it's a theater of 100 people, I'd say 20 are laughing at the exact same joke that is destroying me. Yes. And the joke joke that I maybe smile at, maybe, is the joke that 90% of the people are laughing at. Right, right, right. So I, consensus for me is the death of, 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 of comedy, for sure. Let me ask you about uh, directing actors. <laughs> yes. Actors. That, that, that is a focus of the book. By the way, just as, as an aside, your, your stuff about Matthew Broderick and Gloria is really great because it's you dealing with a, an actor who is at a difficult part in their life. And, yeah. you know, is a complicated person, a great actor. And, and, and you know, it's a moment in time. But I just have to tell you as reading it, I, at that exact time, found myself at a place called Cafe Vivaldi in the village with my then-girlfriend, Melissa Gilbert, who you will remember well. Well, who's, and, who's, who's now with Timmy, yes. Who's now with Timmy. I mean, can you believe it? Yeah, there you go. Okay. I mean, yeah. what the, I mean, yeah, I know. you just, you, you can't, you can't make it up. You no. cannot no. make it up. No, but go ahead. And, no, and, and there was a, there was a, there was a, a couple behind me. I didn't know male, female. I didn't know what, but I knew that there were two people. And this woman was filibustering and heck and like henpecking and heckling. As I kind of turned on, I saw to be a, a young man for an hour. I mean, mm. ruthlessly henpecking, filibustering. And I look and it's Matthew Broderick having oh, lunch oh. with his mother. I knew where the story was going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is exactly your, yeah. what, what yeah. you, I love the notion of her being fl- flown down in the private jet to rewrite Matthew's dialogue. It's amazing. When, when we have no budget to pay for, you know, the explosions and the fort. No, it was, uh, you know, I, I can't believe some of the things when I looked at, by the way, I also um, looked at about last night and I had, you know, I'm not the kind of person that looks at old work and I don't think I'd yeah. looked at it in very, very long time. And I had such a good time. And that's a conversation to have too. But I also looked at Glory and some other movies and I look at them and I kind of go, did this really happen? <laughs> <laughs> Who was uh, yes. What was I thinking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. and then that led me to those relationships. And finally, I don't think I could, if I were, my life depended on it, could describe, um, you know, as all the scenes and all the movies or the episodes or whatever. But the relationships, those moments of, of, of real intensity with people that I genuinely loved or genuinely disliked or, or but was in deep relationship with, to think that they had somehow vanished into the ether and to ask myself, what were they? What did that mean? Uh, did it serve a kind of promiscuity of mind that we all have? that we want that, or possibly even in knowing that those things are going to end, that we abandon ourselves to them, give ourselves to them with the guarantee that there's some end stop about them. And is that part of the allure? Anyway, it led to a lot of questions about, about, about the lives we've chosen. We should talk about about last night. I have so many great memories, not the least of which is being on a bus driving through the French countryside, cuddling a very cute little baby. I have the pictures, Rob, of you holding my six-month-old at that moment. Of course, I remember. Amazing. Yeah. It's like funny because, you know, those those were the themes. About last night was the theme of, you know, do I say I love you? Do you move in with me? What is monogamy? All of those things. But then the next step was kids and family. And I was all already like i did not know i didn't know that that raising kids was going to be the great love of my life but moments like that yeah were an inkling for me mm-hmm. how great is that 
How great is that? And and I've had other moments like that. I remember when I was making Glory, and I had um, Jesse. He was about three and a half, running around, and Morgan Freeman, uh, who you know has this extraordinary moral authority, um, had met met him and hung with with Liberty and with me. And he sat me down one day. He said, "So, why don't you have another kid?" And I said, oh, well, you know, things have been so crazy in the career and the whatever. And he just gave me that look. And that look was saying, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he, he said, you know, you got to get it together. <laughs> and, and that was my version. You know, I was maybe, you know, three and a half years ahead of you in that regard. But still, I was then not yet ready to take that next step into chaos and into the, the incredible bounty and joy that, that, that awaited me that I was somehow hesitant to, to take on. And then you just think of the chronology of it, how long ago all of it was. It's like, I, I just, so many, I love the story. You talk about Belushi. Uh, yeah, trying to do the, the flat, like the doors would, I, I remember that so well when the doors would close on the L and we would just sit there like idiots. 15 minutes as, well, forever. As the clock is ticking and I feel my career just like literally sliding away. Sliding away. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my God. You know, and I've had Jimmy on the podcast and he's, you know, he, like all of us, he's like a different human being. Oh my you know? God. Oh my God. I have, to, I've seen him too. Yeah. It's, it's kind of beautiful. It's really a beautiful thing to see him own his size and find some, yes, some center and calm and things that would not have defined him then. And it does suggest there is a possibility of, of, of change for, yeah. you know, for, for people and for all of us. No, no, delightful, in fact, is what he's become. And to me, I texted just this week. So I have, I, I have a one-man show. And in, in my one-man show, I show very selected clips. Yes. And I show the last <laughs> scene where we're dewy-eyed and loving each other and running across <laughs> Grant Park. She's dressed like the farmer in the Dell. Yes. That's the end of the movie, by the way. Shot it on the first day, as you yep. well remember, which is amazing. That's amazing to me that we, we, that we were able to and chose to shoot the ultimate sequence <laughs> on the very first day, be that as it may. That scene with no buildup in the one-man show absolutely crushes people. Yeah, yeah. It crushes yeah. And, but, but I see it all the time. And, and then she gets on her, her bike and her farmer in the Dell outfit. And I, it just makes me laugh. There's like, there's no way in today's Hollywood, there's no way. Somebody at the studio goes, I'm sorry, what is she wearing? No, 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 Well, by the way, what you'll remember, and this I have very fond memories of, and you're talking about working with actors. We had a week of rehearsal. We literally had the luxury of being in a room, talking about our characters, doing some exercises, trying things out. And I think without that, I mean, obviously you guys knew each other. Right. So there, there was already that. That's great. You're right. Yes. But still, that, that familiarity, that sense of comfort that you, you get to create when you have a minute like that yep. was, is so rare. And, and that actually, I think that helped it too. But I also, um, but I would also, I, I said something else. I think I even put it, you haven't seen the book yet. I'm going to, I will get you a real copy of the book when it is out, which is soon. Um, but I, I look at it in terms of you and your career as a very seminal moment about understanding where you can be in comedy as opposed to just doing straight stuff. Because what I saw in that thing, yeah, you can look at Jimmy's performance as this really towering comedic moment, but you need a straight man to make that work. Right. You know, there is no, there is no Hardy without Laurel. Yeah. And, and you said, okay, I'm going to go there. And obviously since then you've done things that are broader and more obvious, but in fact, that was the subtlety of understanding the role that made that work. I mean, you know, um, you know, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers had to do everything that Fred Astaire did, and she had to do it backwards and in mm -hmm. high heels. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's that to me was a was a was a moment for you, a marker, I think, where after that there was the possibility of taking a left turn. Yep. And that's what you did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no there's no West Wing 
without the flax suit sequence. Exactly right. I mean, there's, there just isn't. And like, people were always like, when I, when I, you know, whenever Aaron Sorkin and I were working together, you know, people come in and people either heard the music or they didn't. And the first time I heard the music was, that's right. Was, was, was mammoth, right? You bet. And, and by the way, Aaron, in a, in a very generous way, has written a blurb for the book. He's read it and he wrote oh, great. A, a, a great, a great blurb for the book. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's, it's super fun. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike. And that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this, the people of Dallas, the culture of Austin. And I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats to keep my dogs healthy and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance TVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Give me some Tom Cruise stuff, baby. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. I forgot. Of course, we do share all these different connections. We know. We, isn't it unbelievable? It's yeah. like, it's, yeah. it's like we go, I, um, I, every time I see him, my heart just bursts. I love him so much. Yep. yep. You know, it was, it was kind of amazing because I, I know when I went into Warner Brothers and said, I want to make a movie about 19th century samurai and and and, you know american going there that 
It was one conversation. And when I went in there and said, I want to make a movie about 19th century samurai with Tom Cruise. Yes. It became a movie. And, uh-huh. and without his absolute crazy gonzo, utter, you know, um, pedal to the metal approach, something like that would never have happened. And, and, no, and, no. but he also, what was remarkable to me was his generosity to our vision that he was there to serve that movie and to serve us and not to say, I'm putting myself over the marquee. He's done movies since then in which they're different and, you know, in which he is the, 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 the prime mover and should be and deserves to be, but that he, his approach to this was, was, was remarkable. And, and, um, and every director, you know, tells you this story about him that, that, and if you say, listen, I'd like you to do this take, uh, you know, upside down, standing on your head while blowing bubbles, he'll say, well, we'll try that. You know, yep. he'll he'll go there. He'll yeah. have his own thoughts about it that he'll want to be heard to as he deserves to. But I, I do. There's a thing that you probably know that I had not known because I had met him. I met him with I met him with you and Emilio and to me right. first then. Yep, yep. And we, we even talked about Legends of the Fall once, he and mm-hmm. I. But he does this thing where it maybe happened two or three times, you know, two in the morning and it's raining and shit's flying and you're behind, whatever. And somebody comes up to you and like grabs you on the shoulders and say, You know what we get to do today? Yeah. We get to make a movie. <laughs> That's so great. I thought about that. By the way, I thought, I thought, I, because I'd forgotten it until I read it in your book. Yeah. And, and he does say that. And I had, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting something right now and I'm, you know, it's hour 12, whatever it is. And, and I'm like, oh my God. And I thought, you know what I get to do today? Yeah. I get to make a fucking movie or a TV yeah. show or something. Um, yeah. He, I, I was shooting West Wing when you guys took the lot, Warner Brothers lot over and made it um, 18th century, 17th century Japan. I couldn't, it's, it was one of the great Hollywood, but I didn't realize you used that stupid swamp yes, on the, the Gil- back lot. Gil- Gilligan's Island. You used Gilligan's Island? Yes. Oh yes. my, that is unbelievable to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they say a rock's a rock, a tree's a tree, shoot it in Griffith Park. That's, That's right. That's the That's famous right. D.W. Griffith. Um, yeah, I, there's so much good stuff. Okay, I got to ask you about um, Legends of the Fall yes. is another one to ask you about. Um, that score. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, James Horner, we did three movies or four movies together. Um, uh, you know, and in his studio, when you went into a studio, it was full of airplanes. They were hanging down. He loved models and he made models and he loved flying and he loved airplanes. And, and the day that I heard what happened, because he would do trick flying. Yeah. I tried to imagine that moment of him being up there and seeing that it had gone wrong mm. and thinking about just those last seconds in his life, because he was this very, very dear, very, um, punctilious, very, very, um, precise, um, you know, composer. And that was part of it for him. And yet he was capable of such depth and, and that's what flying always seemed to me to be to him, to get out there into this ether. And, 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 um, yeah, it, it's a score that, that, uh, it kills me. Um, you know, I've, I've been really lucky. I've worked with Hans and with James Newton Howard and with James yeah. Horner. And there are people who are freaks for what those guys do. But I think actually too few people understand just what that genius is. And he was one of them. And it was a, tra- a, a tragic loss. We, we all, you also were mentored by, is it, I feel like he's, he was not underrated in his lifetime, not in any way. But I feel like right now, if you were to go and ask a 25-year-old actor or an executive about Sidney Pollack, I, I'm, I, I would hope that, that they would know who he was because 
when I look at the filmography of that man, he was, I mean, I, it's just a just bummer to me that I never really got to know him or, or, or work with him because his movies, bro, forget it. And, and yeah. his, his acting. Yeah. Oh, well, his that's, acting. Yeah. I mean, you know, he began, he was at the studio as an actor and yeah. he and Mark Rydell and all the other, all those other guys. Yeah. But I guess to me, having someone like that in your life and it, it was a complicated relationship. It wasn't, you know, like Mr. Chips or anything, but he was, he was remarkable in so many regards, but now it's also an important lesson to understand the impermanence and the ephemera of anything that we do. Cause his work was, it was gigantic in the culture for a good period of time and influential in a hundred different ways about what movies are and what acting should be and, and how do you give, how to cast movie stars as actors and to have them give performances of complexity and depth and in, 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 in movies that were not simple in some of their, uh, some of their uh, characterizations or, or even plots. And, and then to understand that there are that there's a generation now who just don't know and you don't you can't blame them there's a lot of culture now that's competing for their attention but i can't help but feel that my reverence for earlier movies for the movies of the 30s and 40s even 50s that had preceded me or even the 70s that i was raised with right i'm not sure that that some of that work by people like him is revered and studied to the same degree by by some contemporary filmmakers, and I'm not sure I know why that is. Um, it maybe has to do with the availability and the the immediacy of culture in front of you on your computer and on your phone. We would go to movies, and that was the only thing to do, and there was no hope of seeing them ever again. It would, and, right. and you would see them once and you would then stay up all night and talk about them and you would you know hope that someday you'd ever get to see them again but somehow it dug in and I'm not sure that it that it has that same kind of um, stickiness uh, anymore I think about there's so many things I'd love to ask him about I do, do you happen to remember the moment where he's two weeks into out of Africa and Redford's doing an accent oh Oh, do you know yeah. the story? Well, go tell it. It's great. It's a great story. Well, so look, Redford is one of my icons and he's a fucking amazing actor. He is. And I can give you chapter and verse in specific moments. Uh, he, in, in the natural, when he says, God, I love baseball, I can give you mm -hmm. line readings. I can tell you, don't sleep on Robert Redford, <laughs> but he's also the biggest movie star we've ever had. Right. And, and, you know, there's something about movie stars where they're, I'm not, listen, you know all this stuff, but I'm setting the story up. It's what you invest in is, is them. It's not a, the first thing you love about is something of their essence, first yeah. and foremost. And you cover that essence to your peril when you're a movie star. <laughs> yeah. And so the notion of Redford doing a, a, what, mm -hmm. a Danish, Danish, was he Danish? Yeah. Haddon yeah. Finch, yeah. Sir yeah. Haddon Finch. Yeah. So Redford's working with Meryl Streep, who is the greatest actor. And by the way, not a movie star. Stars in movies, but, but, does, a movie but star. does also does the best dialect work of any actor. And, and does the best dialect work of anybody who ever lived. Right. You know, and so Redford's like, well, this guy was a real guy. He was Danish. Meryl's doing South, uh, is there a South African thing? And, he does an accent in Out of Africa. By the way, one of my favorite movies of all time. Obviously, if you've seen the movie, you know there's no accent in it. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Well, I'll tell you, the relationship between Sydney and Redford is so interesting. You know, here's this God, this blonde Cal Southern California God, and this Jewish guy from New York. And, and yet they become a kind of alter ego to each other mm -hmm. and they would love each other deeply and be utterly infuriated with each other just as much time because there's another story which pertains to the same thing, which is about Jeremiah Johnson. Yes. 
at the end of Jeremiah Johnson, Redford is supposedly um, 25 years older, and he comes up against a brave who goes out to kill him, who is his son. And it's in the script. Milius wrote it. They're getting ready to do it. And Redford goes into the makeup trailer, and they put on the age makeup, and he looks at himself and goes, no. I mean, they're in, they're, they're in, they're in, they're in, they're, in, they're somewhere in Sundance, Utah before, you know, they're, they're in the snow and whatever. He goes, no. And if you look at that movie and it's a good movie, but it sort of just doesn't end. It just sort of stops. No, it, it ends and it plays that stupid song. Jeremiah Johnson, Johnson made his, his way, way into, into the mountain. The right, mountain. Exactly. That's it. You never forget, you never forget that song once you hear it. Cause it's so bad. It's really bad. But maybe the reason you remember it is because the ending is so bad. It's never occurred to me. Now, let me ask you this, though. In defense of Robert Redford, is it possible? Is it possible? That he was right. That he, ju- that he didn't like the, no, that he didn't like the makeup. That he's I like, don't know. All about- I, listen, I did something. I made a movie with Daniel Craig. And the movie was written to have a bookend of Daniel at, in his 70s. It's about a man who became a hero and then utterly... Uh, denied denied it and then went to live anonymously in New York as a cab driver. And we start the movie as he's in a cab as this old man and this other person gets into a cab and recognizes him and you go back and then you come back at the end and you look at it and we shot it and he looked good and we looked at it and we went nope, not the story. Cut, cut. And Mm -hmm. Redford Mm -hmm. is a filmmaker too. Right. I mean, yes. he became a real filmmaker, right? And he maybe right. also had an instinct to say, this is not who the audience has fallen in love with. You, This is right. another person. Right. And and that's not, and, and what you said, which is so interesting about needing to hold on to some of the self, the thing that is, the, the thing that has drawn us there, and yet find that slight adjustment. Yes. That, that suspends disbelief that he's someone else. That, that's but it's exactly a, right. But, but it's a balance, a very precarious balancing act. So, and the precarious balance clearly didn't work the first two weeks of Out of Africa. Oh, I, can you I imagine? Can imagine. So, so I, I just imagine like, knock, knock. Hey, Bob, you got a minute? Yes, Sydney, come on in. <laughs> so um, do, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to write. I'm obsessed with writing like parodies of amazing moments. <laughs> and, and that's one... <laughs> <laughs> that's one the other one I want to write this is so so dark but you remember me I'm Rob Lowe I'm dark Ed um, is do you remember when there was a diet candy that everybody took called AIDS no I don't oh yeah very famous oh. everybody took it and I, I'm kind of obsessed with the day where the, somebody goes into the CEO's office and goes um did you read the paper today oh god but anyway I digress um, my true fans will be, appreciate that joke. Uh, tell me, so what did Sydney say? Anything? Do you know what, how he, how he said, Hey Bob, let's talk about the accent. No, I, I actually, I actually don't. Um, he was, uh, he was discreet about, about that, but you could see, um, there were things would happen. I mean, there are wonderful stories about, about, um, Redford being late and, and Sydney being early. And, and, and them, you know, not wanting to like confront each other at the start of every day because of it, but it was, it was somehow baked into the relationship. So I, I don't, I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very punctual. I, I think you gotta, everybody's on the clock. Um, tell me what is next for you. What do you got other than this new special Bolton thing, which you're going to tell me about offline? Yeah. Um, well, we're writing an adaptation of a Stephen King book that came out last year, which we had to stop because of the strike. A very interesting book, a book called Billy Summers, which is not, uh, it's, it's the, it's Stephen King in the humanist tradition. It's more in yes. the, in, in, in the, the world. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not horror. It's not fantasy. It's, yep. uh, it's about people. Um, and that's something that we're, we're really enjoying. And, um, uh, we've also written something on spec, because Great. there was that time, you know, that we were all yeah. just sitting around yeah. and, and, uh, I don't do well with idleness. Me neither. I, I really, only, I only have one speed. And, yeah. and so, so there is something we've written and we're finishing, which I think is something we're 
pretty excited about. But you know, it's funny to do what 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 we do. Every time that I would make a movie, I would come back into the world and see that the entire movie business had changed. Yeah. And I think even now during this period of COVID and then and then the strike, I think it has changed again. Yes. And and, and I have to we have to all you know reorient ourselves every time. And so I feel that in some way I'm still, you know, trying to then recover my my sea legs. Yes. Um, and uh, to know what it is, it's not just only what, what I want to do, but how does what I want to do fit into this new the culture? I, I do know that I was really privileged always to be able to do big grown-up adult movies at scale. Yep. Scale is a very important thing to a director, right? Particularly with certain subjects. Scale gives you the edifice on which you can put these performances, but you have ideas. I think, I think of, I mean, I've made what, 15 movies, something like that, maybe more, but I don't know that I could make 12 or 13 of them right now because yes, you could go make glory, but it'll be eight guys in the woods while something else is happening around them. Right. You wouldn't have the majesty or the sense of verisimilitude because that's not what studios, people are giving the big money to do. The money, the money for the actors, the money for production is in the Marvel Universe and is in the IP and these things that are different. They're, they're, they're asking a different thing of an audience. And there are still very interesting movies to be made of serious subjects and complex, challenging dramas. Yes, of course, but not at scale. And I, it's not like I went after scale for its own sake, but it was such a luxury to yeah. create. It was, you know, they talk now about um, this whole thing about pitches now is, you know, world creation. Yes. And what they really mean is fantasy world creation, because it's actually much harder and more expensive at times to do real world creation, a real time, real scale. And, you know, I was pleased like with, with Oppenheimer and with certain movies that are now at least beginning to take all of the tools of CG and use them not as a thing that pulls you out of reality and puts you into some fantasy, but to in fact create certain reality situations where maybe for less money you could do some of the things that we were able to do. There was no CG in Courage Under Fire. Those were real tanks. There was no CG when we shut down 40th to 47th Street in the siege, you know, um, or the, the beach at Glory or Steven Spielberg on the beachhead, you know, at, at Omaha Beach. So that's the real question, I think, for those of us who want to make movies still for grownups, how to do that, how to do that within the financial models that they have for you. Yeah, it's uh, when you figure it out, will you call me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please. Uh, your book is great. Hits, flops, and other illusions. So it's it's genius. So good to see you. I can't believe that it took this. It's, I mean, you you have a very, 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 very special place in my heart and always will. And please give Liberty a huge hug. Oh my God. I We didn't even get a chance to talk about her. <laughs> Ed Zwick, Ed Zwick's people has one of the most beautiful, lovely wives. You, you married well. Yeah, well, um, she's managed to, to to keep me around with you. this long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That was great. Love you, Ed. Told you the man had a vocabulary. Super inspiring. Super, super, super inspiring. I hope you guys had fun. That was, uh, what a great, thoughtful, amazing chat, as as always is whenever I get a chance to reconnect with Ed. Um, and um, go watch one of the movies that we talked about. Talked about so many different movies, but um, pick one, any one of them, and go watch one tonight um, in celebration. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Nick Liao, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Editing by Jerron Ferguson. Engineering and mixing by Rich Garcia. 
Our executive producers are Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and myself for Team Coco, and Colin Anderson for Stitcher. Booking by Deirdre Dodd, music by Devin Bryant. Special thanks to Hidden City Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe.